Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1079 of the Juice Box Podcast. Erica Forsyth is back today. Of course, you can find Erica at ericaforsyth.com. She's back today with another episode in our parenting series. Today's topic is avoiding unintended consequences of inconsistent discipline and over-involved parenting. That's a really long title. I'll shorten that for the app. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear in the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. If you'd like to save 40% off of your comfortable clothing, towels, and sheets, do that at CozyEarth.com with the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. You can save 10% off your first month of therapy at BetterHelp.com slash JUICEBOX. You can check out the private Facebook group, JUICEBOX Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. And of course, help us out. Oh, Apple Podcasts changed their app. It's messing everything up. You may not be getting your downloads. If you're using the Apple Podcast app and you have iOS 17, please go to your settings to automatic downloads and make sure all new episodes is chosen. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by U.S. Med. U.S. Med is where Arden gets her diabetes supplies from. You could as well. USmed.com slash juicebox or call 888-721-1514. They've got Tandem, Omnipod, Dexcom, Libre, and so much more. Hey, Erica, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. We're going to look today at avoiding unattended consequences of inconsistent discipline and over-involved parenting. Yes? That's right. All right. Yes, that's right. That's a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot we're going to try and cover today. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, this is, gosh, uh, I don't know. I've lost track of how far we are into the to the episodes now, but it's starting to build into this really lovely companion piece for the podcast about parenting. And I, I think we're going to mention here at the beginning, while it's our intention for this to help you with diabetes, not everything we always talk about is specific to diabetes. This is a kind of a a more holistic view of parenting in general. Yes. Yes. So avoiding unattended consequences of inconsistent discipline. Well, I think we all must be guilty of inconsistent discipline, right? I guess. I I think we go out as parents hoping and striving to be consistent in our parenting styles and our, in our discipline, but we can't always be perfect. We can't always be consistent. And I think it might be helpful to talk about how how does this happen? How do we find ourselves disciplining our children with their rules or their behaviors inconsistently? And so we'll just jump right in. Yeah. Is it because okay. it's fun to listen to little kids curse? And how are you going to yell yeah. at them <laughs> when they say something? Oh. When they're like, oh, <laughs> they, have you, has it ever happened to you? Has, it, has your little ever like stubbed their toe and then they've just said something like, completely out of pocket, just crazy. Uh, no, because I never curse and I'm perfect. Okay. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> no. Uh, yes, that is, that has happened in my household yeah. a time or two. Yes. Some of my favorite like TikTok videos are of little kids. Just, you know, there's this one of this little boy, he's gotta be like two or three years old in a diaper 
and he's leaving the room and the mom's like, where are you going? And he goes, I have to take a sh-. <laughs> and, he just, <laughs> and he just rolls out the door. And I think, how are you going to yell at the kid for that? <laughs> That's, That's good. But, you know, on a more serious note, th- that consistency, I'm imagining you're going to tell me is incredibly important because if it doesn't feel like the thing is really going to happen, then what's the reason to ever act like it's going to? I guess it's probably how it looks from the kid's perspective. But tell me a little bit about how this happens. Yes. So I think the first thing for from a child's perspective, if they are confused what the rules are, right? So they might not know that you have certain expectations or you might think you've told them once and they should know. So they they are not sure what the, what the rules are. Mm-hmm. And then if they are sure what the rules are, then maybe they're reinforced inconsistently at different times. I think for for example, you have to finish your vegetables in order to get your dessert. If that's a family dinner household rule, then they understand that that's a very clear rule. But if some days you're like, oh, you know, it's okay. You I'm ate, in a good mood. Most... Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I'm feeling lenient today. I'm right. in a good mood. Or you want to move on to the next thing. Okay, you ate three out of your five pieces of broccoli. Here's your here's your ice cream. Mm-hmm. Which again, in the moment, we all have probably done this. It's okay, but we're talking about like, does this happen consistently? Are you inconsistently? Are you Cons- consistently are, inconsistent? I was gonna say, are you consistently <laughs> yeah, yeah, inconsistent? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so once is not a big deal, but if the kid knows three times a week, all they've got to do is mention the ice cream ahead of time, and you buckle, then suddenly there's. I guess it's it's some sort of a power struggle. You just don't even realize it, mm-hmm. and and they're winning it all of a sudden. Oh uh, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, and we, yeah. We'll get into that that power mm-hmm. struggle for sure. Okay. Uh, um, oh, perhaps. Okay. Sorry. No, no, no. Keep okay. going, please. So, also maybe your rules might be different in in different environments. For example, you're out at a restaurant versus home, or you're at a friend's house or a party. And I think to a certain extent, we might have certain expectations or rules publicly or privately. And that's totally fine and normal, but I think it's also helpful for to make sure our children know that too. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm like, all right, I don't care today. I'm going to, I'm going to go using the ice cream idea. Do I say that to them? Hey, look, usually we need to eat all the broccoli to get the ice cream. Tonight's a special circumstance. Does that actually help if you let them know that this is not me slipping up and misunderstanding the rules, but I am making an exception and these exceptions aren't always going to happen? Is that actually beneficial? Absolutely. I think clearly communicating, you know what's happening and you're going to let them know. It's all about the expectation that then they can say, okay, that one time we got to do it such and such. And the rule was different Mm -hmm. today because they explained why. Does this also, I'm imagining work backwards where you can't promise something and then it not happen because I'm just going to come out and say this. My wife talks about this a lot growing up. Her parents will never listen to this where they'd get told behave today and we'll go do this for dinner. And then when dinner time rolled around, they didn't do it. My wife says that it taught her that her parents couldn't be trusted because I mean, and, and I'm assuming if you go back in time and find her parents, they would have said, we had four little kids. 
it was a summer day. They were out of their freaking mind. I promised to take them to McDonald's and then it, it didn't work out. Like I just, you know, it didn't work out and I couldn't take them. They would never, I would imagine if they heard this right now, they'd be like, that was not what we were doing, but it is what happened. And so, so that is this just slightly like thinking about it slightly differently. You can't promise something and take it away. You can't tell them something's going to happen and then have it not happen. It's the same thing, right? Yes. Yeah. I know this, this happens in my household. In fact, it just happened recently where we said, okay, tonight's going to be movie night. And then we, we did not move or nor did my children move quickly enough through all the things I wanted them to do and needed them to do to get to movie night. So then we couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. It was too late. So then they said, well, you know, you promised it was movie night. But I said, well, okay, well, we didn't do all these things we needed to do in time. But I didn't, I didn't previously communicate that to yeah, them. That wasn't part of the rules. It wasn't, right, we're right. getting a movie if you little bastards don't take two hours to take a bath. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, there, yeah, there, there's a lot of right, right. hoops to jump through to get to movie night. But I needed to communicate that to them because then they're disappointed. This is making me think of this very little, like, I... I always think of this as a little thing, but maybe it won't end up being in the future. We have a lot of board games in our house, but we do not play board games. And I think it bothers Arden. Like, I think that when she was younger, she wanted to sit down and play more board games together and we didn't do it. And and I think that even just having them in the house, the promise of it being a thing we did, but it never Mm -hmm. became a thing we did. I actually think that bothers her. I mean, I don't think it bothers her to like, Jack Ruby in a bell tower level, but like, I think it, I think it does bother her. Do you think anybody knows Jack Ruby shot? Ken? No, right. It doesn't matter, <laughs> but, but yeah, I don't think it's going to make her like twist off, but I do wonder how much of like how much of a small adjustment to who she is, is because of that, like that small, almost imperceivable letdown, mm-hmm. you know? Like, so, okay. So be consistent and be communicative enough so that they understand what are their goals? Like, what is it they're shooting for so that they know if they didn't get to it, it's because we didn't do those things. And then all of a sudden that thing not happening is a teaching moment and not a letdown. Right. Cause they knew. Yes. Okay. All right. I see. And but- she might. So I was going to say, put the board game though. I think it's one thing. Yes. Having those physical visual reminders of something, maybe she had this expectation that you did could be painful, but also did you say, was that your rule? Was that your expectation? And did you guys talk about that? Right. So I know we're going down a different path, but like, did you talk about, Hey, we're a family who plays board games and every Friday night we're going to play a board game. Then you didn't, or was it just something that was kind of existed? Oh no, I think it was the intention. I think my wife wanted to be a family that played board games, but we were working and Arden has diabetes and a lot of and yes. kids played sports and time. You know what I mean? I'm bringing it up because I think it illustrates how easily your intention can get discombobulated and then how a child can see it in a way that you maybe would have never imagined. Because the first time she said that as an older kid, and she's like, yeah, we never played board games and I wanted to. And I was like, oh, like it broke my heart. I was like, oh, we screwed up. I knew we screwed them up. I just didn't know how. <laughs> Even as you and I are talking, I was like, where the hell was Erica 20 years ago? I should have had this conversation with her then. <laughs> because like even just this part that we've just glossed over so far mm-hmm. is so obvious when you hear it out loud and yet hard to make happen, but wouldn't have been difficult to stop it from being a problem if I just u- would have used a couple more words. 
It's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, um, keep going. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So we're, when are we, so when are rules we've talked about, if they're in, um, inconsistent, different times, different environments or with different siblings, you know, if you have more than one child, they can pick up very easily. If one child gets a little bit more flexibility because they're older or younger in sibling order or whatever, for whatever the reason. So mm-hmm. that is a, that is a big deal. And they will use that, you know, <laughs> And we'll reflect that back. They are very keen and are very aware of, you know, being treated equally as siblings. Yeah. Between parents. Sorry, go ahead. No, I actually was going to say something that I don't know if I'm going to share now. Like, as I okay. as I heard my brain say it, I was like, that's probably too much. Now I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> my wife and her sisters refer to their older brother as Jesus Christ because that's how they feel like he was treated when they were growing up. Mm-hmm. They joke about it, but they're not joking. Anyway, I think that's it, right? That's what you're talking about with the sibling. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I know that this is, that's a particularly challenging one. Again, I know we already, you already said at the beginning of the episode, you know, where this is general parenting rules, but I know this, that's a really difficult one when one child has type one and the other one doesn't. So I just wanted to, to validate and pause there. I know that's a really, really difficult thing to navigate that I. Sure. Cause it's a, it's a medical thing and you need to do it. But other children could look at it as, oh, sure, when it's for them, we have time. When it's for me, there's no time. And they're mm-hmm. not going to do the reasonable thing, which is say, well, yeah, we stopped and helped her because she was dying. And you wanted to play a board game and we couldn't get to it. Those are not the same things. But they feel like the same thing if you're the mm-hmm. out-of-the-circle out kid in that moment. Yes. Okay. Yes. And those, those all, you know, the awareness piece is the best thing to bring into those situations and having those dialogues, you know, with your children. Uh, between parents, right? Maybe one parent is feeling, as we said, kind of more lenient one day and will reinforce the rule and, and the other parent won't. That happens. It's very common. And then maybe parents, you're in a different mood. Like we've already said, you're in a, you're an exhausted, tired mood and you're going to be you're going to consistently reinforce it or not because of that, or maybe you're in a really good mood mm-hmm. and you're you're feeling maybe stronger emotionally to reinforce or not. Can I ask yeah. a, a question? Do you think that this is most more specific to a certain age range? Like, is there a moment when I get to the point where I can make the distinction and I don't hold it against somebody or something or no? Everybody who has diabetes has diabetes supplies, but not everybody gets them from U.S. Med. The way we do. USmed.com forward slash juice box or call 888-721-1514. US Med is the number one distributor for Freestyle Libre Systems nationwide. They are the number one specialty distributor for Omnipod Dash, the number one fastest growing tandem distributor nationwide, and they always provide 90 days worth of supplies and fast and free shipping. That's right, US Med carries everything. From insulin pumps to diabetes testing supplies, right up to your latest CGMs like the Freestyle Libre 2 and 3 and the Dexcom G6 and 7. They even have Omnipod Dash and Omnipod 5. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and you can reach them at 888-721-1514 or by going to my link, usmed.com forward slash juicebox. When you contact them, you get your free benefits check. And then if they take your insurance, you're off and going. And U.S. Med takes over 800 private insurers and Medicare nationwide. Better service and better care is what U.S. Med wants to provide for you. USmed.com 
forward slash juice box. Get your diabetes supplies the same way Arden does from US Med. Links in the show notes, links at juiceboxpodcast.com to US Med and all of the sponsors. When you use my links, you're supporting the show. Even as from the child's perspective? Yeah. Or, or if I'm 35 and my mom's still treating my brother better, am I still like, oh, see? Like, you know what I mean? Yes. I, I think as you mature and you also understand, yeah, I mean, there's their sibling order, there's different relationships between different parents. And maybe, maybe dad gets along better with, with son and mom gets along better with daughter or vice versa or whoever, whoever it is. I think there can be an understanding and, and maturity as you grow up and then you can choose to work through it or not, right? Mm-hmm. You can either understand those dynamics existed for a particular reason and heal from those. So is there a point at which you understand it? Yes, hopefully. Yeah. If you're, if you're healthy enough. And if you're, if you're open to it, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, unless maybe you just want to be mad about it. And it's an easy thing to go off out of at Thanksgiving. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. That might be fun even. And that happens. It happens. It's a long life, yeah. Erica. You got to stay busy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, parents escalate when children don't follow rules. Yes. So we, we've kind of covered that you need to be consistent, that when the rules are flexible, what? I guess let's go back to that first, though, right? Yes, when the yes. rules are flexible, what can happen? If we are inconsistent in the discipline or inconsistent in reinforcing those rules, children's children will learn that, okay, there's flexibility here, which sometimes there's a benefit to having some flexibility in your household. But if they realize, okay, there's no consistency here, I can do one thing one day and get away with it, and the next day it's fine, uh, or it's not fine, um, then they're they're going to increase their behavior and you might have some more challenges and then they're going to test your boundaries, test the rules, test the boundaries. So I'll roll the dice and see how this goes. And eventually you'll weaken and it'll go my way more and more. Yes. I have to ask you a question. Do you have any knowledge of how the prison systems work? Because I have a feeling like these same conversations happen within like the penal system. Like, you know what I mean? Like the testing of, of, lines what happens if you push the line if you push the line it never goes back again like that's why you have to hold the line if you hold the line too tightly then there's a rebellion this all seems very similar to me well i don't know if i could speak to the prison environment but i could speak to as a former teacher (laughs) that it's really important to have those really strict boundaries particularly in the beginning they used to joke and um when i was training to become a teacher a long time ago that, you know, don't, don't smile till Christmas or don't smile till winter break. Like just be really consistent <laughs> with your <laughs> classroom management rules. So they understand. So I don't I mean, maybe that is also applied in the prison. In fairness to me, know. I just got done watching the first two seasons of mayor of Kingstown. So it's all <laughs> fresh in my head. If you okay. haven't heard it's on <laughs> Paramount know. plus and you should check it out. <laughs> Okay. So, um, also, the last week of my life has been my wife making fun of the way I'm saying mayor. She's like, you're saying M-A-R-E. And I'm like, mayor. And she goes, no. And I'm like, mayor. And she goes, no. And I'm like, M-. and then that's how our evenings go. Her just mocking me because I can't say M-A-Y-O-R correctly. Ma- mayor. Well, apparently, but I can't do it. Okay. <laughs> mayor. Did I get it that time? That sounded good. Okay. Well, tell her because she's. I mean, to my ear, I don't know. (laughs) I've gotten some real like looks that I imagine she got as a child when she let her parents down. She's like, you're so. She said it was disgusting the way I said it. 
<laughs> no, we were having fun. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, no, no. But it was yeah, it wasn't a mean thing. Although if it sounds mean to you, that was just us being playful. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay. Okay, so, so, so yeah. okay, so now the children are, are they're they're testing the boundaries, and then consequently, then you as the parent, uh, you know, we we will escalate, right? So then, as you were already predicting, we get into this power struggle. So we might be really strong in in the punishment or discipline, or the kid wins. And so in those quick moments, we're going to say, okay, you know, go to your room, you're grounded for the the night or, or however you, whatever language you're using or timeout. Mm-hmm. And well, I'm not saying that timeouts or being grounded, those are bad, but in those moments where everything is escalated and you're ratcheting up and then you're throwing out maybe a discipline that isn't necessarily consistent with the rule. And then they, they're escalating their behavior. So then you have these really quick or or you want to avoid it you want to avoid the conflict mm-hmm. and so that then continues and perpetuates this maladaptive maladaptive behavior so the child learns i'm going to push the boundary and then i'm either going to get punished for what in a way that doesn't seem appropriate or the parent is so exhausted and i know i've been there and you say okay just fine just yeah just go do the thing right. you know so then you've created this cycle and long term what what we're what we've talked a lot about is that parent child relationship and you're missing out on that those moments to to teach connect communicate validate the pain in that moment because everyone is so exhausted. Yeah. Does that mean I hope I explain that no, clearly. I, no, I, I it's think like it's the very cycle clear. that we all can experience it's hard to break it down step by step but yeah. And the idea of like you ratcheting it up to a point that's even unreasonable. Like you say something, yes, yes. you say something that you couldn't even make happen if you wanted to, you know, like you're not leaving your room for two months. Like, well, that's not going to happen. That's obviously not going to happen. And then now you're, you have to give it back at some point and then like it or not in a, in a power dynamic, you've lost and yes. and they've gained higher ground and now you're working backwards and you're not going to catch back up again. And then the prison, then their prison's being run by the inmates. See, <laughs> I told you. By the way, it's a terrific show. Uh, <laughs> really, I might not be able to say it, but I, I can't wait for season thirty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, okay, as we mentioned, yes, we are. We get. We often we can find ourselves in this moment, but we're, we're we want to strive. We're all striving to be consistent. I know that as parents, but as we said, we're we're tired. We're exhausted. Maybe we're distracted with what happened in our day at work or with our partners, or this can happen too. I'm I'm definitely guilty of this, of like, oh, I'm going to let them have the thing or do the thing because I'm feeling I'm going to be kind and be lenient here in this moment, thinking that like that's going to help improve the relationship. But again, what we're going back to is we're then being inconsistent with the rules and we're starting that cycle all over again. Yeah. I think sometimes the problem can be when you're young and you have kids, you make rules that are like not necessary. You don't recognize it when you're laying them down, but, but mm-hmm. you know, you have this feeling of like, I don't want things to go the way they went in my house when I was growing up. So I'm going to make all these rules. Then later you look back, like, I didn't need half of these rules. Like it, it's like um, baby, baby stuff. Like when you, yes. buy, when you get a baby and you buy all this stuff and then you don't realize for about a year later, you're like, I didn't need half of this. Like mm-hmm. I did not need half of this. And then the next kid comes and it's like five onesies in a box of Pampers. And you're like, ah, we're ready. <laughs> you, you know, like, and you realize what's really important. But in this situation, it's too late 
because now you've laid out all these crazy rules. How do you do that? If you've, if you've made a rule that you don't need, how do you get rid of it without giving up the power and without putting the kid in a position of thinking, Oh, I, I, I got one over on the old lady. How do you do that? <laughs> I, you, go, you can go back and this can happen. I think with any age, a two-year-old or a 16-year-old to go back and have that conversation, not in the moment when everyone's heightened and upset, mm -hmm. but the next day to say, you know what? I'm the parent. Uh, as the parent, I've made some rules that I think are really healthy and appropriate. I've also made some rules that I thought were important that maybe aren't important anymore. So here's what I'm thinking. We're going to take away this rule um, and for, you know, continuing for the reason why and explaining. I think that's why oftentimes we get pushback is that our children need to understand why we have the rules, why we have the certain consequences to those rules. And then the same when we take them away, yeah. we can explain. Okay. I think it's totally fair um, strategy mm -hmm. oh, that's and excellent. effective too. Yeah. Cause then they're there, there, then you're telling the child, Hey, I'm seeing you. I'm understanding that this, this thing isn't needed anymore. And you're really showing them that you're like in tune with their needs also and building mm -hmm. that trust. Okay. All right. That makes yeah. sense to me. I was just, cause I, it's happened. I've said something or we've been doing something for a certain amount of time. And I'm like, I don't think we need this anymore. So, mm -hmm. you know, but I don't I Can you imagine just enforcing a thing because at this point it's because I said so, you know, and you don't even, yeah. or, or worse. And to relate it back to diabetes, I think about this all the time when people are at their yes. doctors and they're telling you to do something and you ask them why, and they don't know the answer. I find that that's one of the most frustrating things about human communication to me that, and um, I don't like the idea of wasted time. Mm -hmm. wasted time really bothers me like at a like at a core level and if someone wastes my time uh, it's upsetting like i'm mm -hmm. i'm upset by that and this thing where because i think it's also a waste of time too especially when it comes to to management if you tell somebody somebody says to you can't have a pump for six months or you know you can't do this or we have to wait this long for that and, and you're and you're over there struggling and then you one day ask why and they don't have a reason it's maddening and it it does make you feel like Maybe that doctor is just the parent who didn't know how to say, hey, we don't really need this rule anymore. But and they just keep doing it because it's the thing they do. Or they might feel like they didn't have the luxury of like time to even think about it, reflect it and yeah. have the conversation. You know, that that's it could be a, a possible option. And by the way, when you point it out to a doctor who realizes it, but won't back off it because they don't want to give up their power. Th this is an exact match to what could happen to you as a parent. Like if if the if a kid comes to you and says hey, we're doing this thing. I don't see why we're doing it. Do you? If you don't see, that's where you have to have that conversation and give it up. Because if not, now you're going to be defending, you know, an empty castle and they're going to know you're doing it. And it's, it, 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 you're going to look like a, you're going to look like a hypocrite and like, you don't know what you're talking about. And trust me, your kids are going to figure out you don't know what you're talking about eventually. But <laughs> you don't, you don't want it to happen too fast. Or, or it becomes unruly. Uh, at this point, I'm 52. I know I'm a little young for how old my kids are. Not, maybe not a lot, but a little bit. I have a 23-year-old and a 19-year-old. And it's just true. They're smarter than I am. They're smarter than Kelly. They, they've already figured out who we are, I think. They see when we're full of crap. They know when we don't know what we're talking about. They know when to listen to us. And they're right 80% of the time. But the problem becomes in the other 20% of the time when they think they know what's best, but they still just haven't had the life experience to fill in the gaps. 
And then they're kind of half cock going off. And like, I don't have to do that thing. He's wrong about that. I've gone through all the information in my head and I can't find a reason why that's right. And when you try to tell them, look, I just have more experience than you. Trust me, this is where this is headed. It's a, it's a hard thing to sell as a parent too. You know, I don't know what my point was, but it felt important to share. So there okay. we go. Go Thank ahead. You. I'm sorry. Move on, please. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So talking about having inconsistent discipline can be, you know, there are obviously consequences to that that we just talked about and we'll get into some more. And on the the other side of that, of having excessive praise, which isn't necessarily something I'm highly concerned about, I think, in, in the greater scheme of things. I think when you talk and look up research from psychologists, therapists, you don't have a lot of kids coming into their office saying, gosh, my mom and dad or my parents just praise me too much. You know, it's usually, you know, either feeling that the over the criticism or the pressure, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I don't think we need to spend too much time on this, but I know this is something that has come up in previous discussions is what, you know, to to praise your child obviously is a really positive thing. And there's a whole, you know, positive parenting and there's a, a whole kind of camp of just, you know, praise your child, catch them being good. And that's how you kind of reinforce the behavior that you want to see more often, mm-hmm. particularly. You do see that in the classroom and at home. And I think that's really a positive, no, sorry, no pun intended, <laughs> way to, to parent. But I think we want to be really mindful in that we're not offering empty praise and we're not always just saying, you know, good job, good job, good job. Or, wow, you're really, you're a really good um, dancer or you're a really good artist. Even though we do want to highlight our child's strengths, they're what I would just wanted to encourage and, and talk about briefly is to spend more time praising their effort. And um, for those of you who have spent some time in this topic area, maybe you've already heard and read about the growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Have you heard have you talked about that? No, before? tell me about it. Okay. So growth, growth mindset versus fixed mindset um, was developed in the, oh my goodness, at least this language, I think in the late 1990s. And there are schools who are, are teaching this type of mindset. And so basically, if you're, if your child is coming home saying, gosh, I'm just, I'm so bad at math. I'm never going to be able to figure out how to do addition or in the sporting you know realm. I'm I'm a terrible baseball player. To have when your child has a fixed mindset, they believe that they don't have any opportunity to learn and adapt. Okay. Whereas the growth mindset is okay, I don't know how to do that yet. One of the best things I, I like to to teach my children and my and my clients as well is when I hear them say, I'm I'm a terrible at this, I'm bad at this, that all that negative self-talk. To say, well, I haven't learned how to do this yet. Throw in the YET at the end. And that is reinforcing this growth mindset. And in that kind of in the larger umbrella of praise, when you're noticing your child working hard at something, they have for I mean, in the diabetes example, they haven't quite figured out how to how to (laughs) pre-bolus at the right time. To say, gosh, I'm really noticing you're working hard and you've tried here. And um, I noticed that your your effort is there. And you'll get it, and right. or or I'll get it if you're self talk. You're talking to yourself. I just haven't figured it out quite yet because that's where we get stuck in that negative self talk. Yeah, I think the thing you said earlier that really lit me up was saying like 
it would be difficult to ruin a child by overpraising them. But it's, I think, a thing people most concern themselves with, probably somewhat unnecessarily, and it leads to the underpraising and the under, like, sharing of love, I think. Honestly, like, I don't want them to just think being here is enough, right? And so you hold that back, and then, I mean, come on, everybody you bump into has self-esteem trouble. You can be nicer. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to always be, like, the tough love angle. Like, I'm going to put them in the position where they'll end up right. You know, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that, it is a thing you hear people talk about all the time. Oh, it's going to make yes. them soft, right? It's going to like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like telling your kid you love them, it's not going to make them soft. It's going to make them feel loved. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's it's going back to the balance, right? Like mm. if we're praising our child for every single thing that they do, or they're like, they're just being kids, they're doing great, they're, yeah. you know, but they're not following your rules or expectations or showing responsibility or, you know, it's all about Yes, we want to praise our children and notice them when they excel, when they are challenged, when they are sad, when they are happy, when they win, when they lose, you know, all the things. But it's like, yeah, trying to find that balance. So when Cole was very little, I remember being at a baseball practice once and it, it was a, another boy in the outfield. And they were teaching them how to catch like fly balls, which is not a thing you think about. But when they first start playing, they can't really hit the ball up into the air that far. So nobody knows how to catch a fly ball. The outfielders are just there for when the ball rolls through the infield. But once they get to about nine, eight, nine years old, they start hitting them fly balls, like, you know, pretty high up in the air. So this kid settles under the ball, puts his hand out, does not catch the ball, goes straight through and whacks him like in the clavicle, like hits him pretty hard. Oh. And I and his mom yells from the, the stands, good try. And I heard the coach go, well, not good try, but and he pulled the kid aside and said, I like the way you stood there. You weren't afraid. You did what we told you to do. That was terrific. Now we're going to work on catching the ball. And it was such a, like a fine line, right? But I saw what he meant. Like, he, he's like, he's like, trying's not enough. We're catching a projectile falling at your head. We need to be proficient at this, or the next one's going to catch you in the face, not in the clavicle, right? And so he just didn't want the kid to feel like it was done. But he also didn't let the kid feel like, you're a disaster at this. Mm -hmm. It was really, it was really well done by a guy who, trust me, if you knew him, you'd think, well, where did that come from? Probably because he was treated poorly playing baseball as a child. He probably knew <laughs> not to do that. It always struck me that he was not the kind of person I would have expected such a, a complete answer from, but he had it and it was very cool. So, and then you made me that's think that's a of great, it. that's yeah. a great example. Yeah. You yeah, made me think of it just he's, now. He's offering the specific praise for the things that he did. All the things he did right. Here's all and the things you're offering right. some correction, yeah. mm -hmm. but let's not let's not walk away from this moment feeling like you did it because I like your mom and all, but you didn't do it. <laughs> so you know, like it was that was kind of yes. how it, it came off. But, I love and and there's no shame in it, right? No, like, not at all. Did, yeah, like that. That's so that's so beautiful. Just I learning. Example. We're, we're figuring mm -hmm. it out. Don't worry about it. Like all that was there. You know. Uh, where are we at on your list? I'm okay, sorry. Okay, we are moving on to. The consequences of over-involvement okay. and it, like being an over-involved parent, um, which might, you might hear overpowering, overprotecting. There's also all the slang terms, you know, the helicoptering, the mm -hmm. lawn mowing, I've heard all different phrases of, of being an over-involved parent. And again, I think it's really important to just to quickly note too, that we're not just talking about being an over-involved parent in terms of your management of your child's diabetes, but we're going to be talking about 
all the areas of Big life picture. here. Yeah. Okay. So some examples of this as a young child, if your child's young, maybe doing their homework, maybe constantly, you know, communicating with their teacher. When the child demonstrates frustration or exhaustion, you might start doing that the task for the child, whether it's cleaning up the room, maybe when they're older, doing their their essays for them, um, maybe help, you know, there's a involving yourself with their friendship troubles, maybe too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moving on, even, you know, doing their college applications, their essays, negotiating salaries, you know, the, we can name probably a lot of different examples here. And uh, I think to, I want to also highlight that oftentimes the motive is to protect your child, right? And to demonstrate that you love them and you you want to prevent them from having any pain in life. Mm-hmm. That's usually where the motive comes, right? We're not trying to cause any damage to our child by being over-involved. We're just trying to create a healthy, fun, successful life. Yeah. My wife tells a story of um, she was hiring somebody once she was in a position to need to hire somebody for her group. And she said there was this young lady, probably in her early 20s, 22, 23, kind of fresh out of college, seemed like a good candidate, but she was kind of stilted, like it was tough to talk to her. And my wife's like, all right, fine, she's young, she could be nervous or whatever. Anyway, this thing came up, but I don't remember the detail of it. And the girl says, oh, I don't know, but my mom would know. And Kelly kind of laughed a little, and then she said, she's here, do you want me to ask her? And Kelly's like, I wrote down the paper, no, and then just kept talking to her. Her mom came to the job interview with her. And Uh, I guarantee the mom thought she was doing like well for the kid, but mm -hmm. that kid was going to get that job and then did not get it for that one specific reason. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. she was fine for the position. It would have been fine. It was an entry level thing. Honestly, if she didn't work out, my wife would have hired somebody else. It was not a big deal, right? Like she was getting that job. And then she realized the mother was sitting in the, in the waiting room outside. She's like, I can't Mm -hmm. like, this is too much, you know? And Mm -hmm. moreover, the girl did not see why it was weird. Like she could tell as like the conversation went on. She thought it was completely just obvious that her mom would be with her at her job interview. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excessive praise is not the same as reasonable good praise. Like, and and you're probably not going to overpraise a child as long as it's for a real thing, not just like, hey what way to get out of bed this morning? You, you know, I guess unless that's the thing you're struggling with, but, but you know, like it's gotta be a real a successful thing that you yes. want, that you want to, I don't like to like let out my Machiavellian side too much, but there are certain things that I do to motivate my kids to do other things. Like it's not that I don't mean it or it's not honest or true, but there's a moment when you say to yourself, you know, if I, if I, put a little effort into saying good job here on this, it might go a long way in the future, not just in this moment. And, you know, I don't know though, but Erica, how I make a podcast. I'm not tired at the end of the day for the most part. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not working in a steel mill. Like I'm not digging a hole. Like I'm, you know, I get up in the morning. Let, let me be honest with you. I get up when I want to get up. You know, I have, I have breakfast, I take a shower, I make a podcast, I work on it for a lot of time, long hours, but I'm not exhausted while I'm doing it. And if at three o'clock in the afternoon, something comes up, I can normally pause, deal with it and go back mm-hmm. to my life. That's just, that's not everybody's situation though. Like, I guess that's why you really have to be aware of all this so that when it comes up and you're 
tired or bleary eyed or whatever, you still do the right things more times than not. That is really the goal, right? Like, yes. Yeah. And, and being, yeah. I mean, as you were describing, you know, the having the luxury of maybe a flexible schedule mm-hmm. or of time, you're also recognizing that not everyone might have that and you might be exhausted and just not wanting to <laughs> implement all the perfect parenting strategies all the time. Yeah. But yeah, trying to do your best as much as you can. In fairness, I'm going to get my hair cut tomorrow with a bunch of 65 year old ladies because, <laughs> you know, they don't have a job either. <laughs> so <laughs> it is true. It's, I mean, life's hard and, you know, your days can be long. You said it before, like you could be having a thing with a spouse or with a, another person in your life. And these things don't seem, it's difficult to see these things for what they are when they're happening. Yes. I think is, is really the biggest problem. And that's why you almost have to teach yourself these ideas so that they come up naturally and not you don't have to stop yourself and go, oh, my God, I, I can't say that here because 16 years from now, like, you know, that that's that's tough sledding. If that's how you're thinking about it, it's hard. Yeah. And I think, as you said, it's to keep it in the forefront. So maybe you you listen to this podcast or you follow other people parenting, you know, lessons, um, instruction on on Instagram. I think it's just, it's helpful to refresh, remind yourself of some of these tactics and mm-hmm. tools because it's easy to forget. I, you know, just even I'm, I'm reminded of things as I talk, prepare and talk with you about these, these tools. I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, that's a good one. I'm, I'm, I forgot about that. Well, I, I apologize. I took you backwards a little bit. We were talking about over-involvement. It's just, I don't know. It, it, it seems important to me to say to people, like, I know this isn't easy and that you might not have the bandwidth for it, but here's why it's important. Uh, but anyway, I'm sorry. Being no, over, 100%. Yeah. Yes. So being over-involved in all the things that you mentioned, it's dangerous. Why? What does it do? So again, validating our the motive of an over-involved parent is because you, you are doing your best trying to protect and prevent your child from pain. That's usually what's, what's happening. Okay. And so... Unfortunately, though, some of the the consequences of that is that you're teaching your child that the world is a dangerous place. For example, you're going outside with your child. I'm going to be maybe extreme, like you know, don't don't go out, don't go outside without shoes and socks. Don't forget to put on all of your sunblock and and bug repellent. Don't don't cross the street without holding my hand. These are all good things. But then you're like, wait, wait, watch out. There's a step there. Don't forget you're going to fall. You know, it's like this constant, if you're the constant narrative, again, I do all of those things for my children at certain points. But then if it's like this constant chatter to your child of watching out for the next thing, either physically or emotionally, they are then internalizing, oh my gosh, this is really, it's really scary out here. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what to do without, without my parent telling me, you know, what to look out for, or I don't know how to interact in this situation without my parent telling me how to say, what to do, how to correct this conversation. Um, And so then that also can develop into, you know, different types of anxieties, separation anxiety, social anxiety. And these are, it's, it's, it does happen, unfortunately. Um, And then internally, the child, then teen, then young adult has this narrative of like, I don't feel like I can face the world mm-hmm. by myself. I don't feel like I'm good enough or strong enough or have, have the ability to make these decisions by myself. Right. So in general, there's a kind of a lower, lower self-esteem and confidence in their ability to make decisions and solve problems. How would a parent, how would a person know 
if they're just doing that by mistake or if there's an underlying reason why they're doing it. Like they're trying to keep the kid close by because it makes them feel more comfortable. Like what, what happens when it's, you know, uh, I get not Munchausen's, but like that idea of like, let me keep them reliant on me because it makes me feel needed or it makes me feel important because you could be having your own psychological struggles too. Like, right. As you see the kid like separating from you, it might cause like real panic and like, let me keep them infantilized a little bit and keep them with me. And then, you know, I won't have to worry about this separation ever happening. I mean, that's got to be pretty prevalent with people, I would imagine. Either that mindset of like, I want them to, I want to feel needed or watching your child go out into the world triggers so much anxiety within yourself that the only way to try and feel like you can control, you can manage your anxiety is to control the behaviors or feel like you're protecting your child. And that's what you're trying to, you're trying to mitigate and manage your own anxiety by those behaviors. So I I see those two types happening. I I mean, I bring it up because for me, one of the difficult leaps of being a parent, and and this is going to sound harsh, but like for a lot of things, you have to say to yourself at some point, if they die, they die. But living like this would be a different kind of death. So do do you know what I mean? Like you you, you have to be able to go live your life. And it's the worst job in the world because you take this thing that you love and all you want is to be with it. But everything you do is to give it the opportunity to get away from you, which is just, it feels crazy while it's happening. I mean, listen, my kids are older. It still feels crazy. Like my wife will joke sometimes. She's like, way to prepare them for the world. Now they don't need us. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to remember that, yes, a certain amount of people are going to have like, like something terrible happen to them. And, Mm -hmm. but that's not a thing you can necessarily stop. You can reasonably protect against it. Don't go out at night in a bad neighborhood by yourself, you know, that kind of thing. But if your kid's like, I want to move to the city, that would make me happy. You got to let that happen. You know, like when they get their driver's license, yeah, some kids wreck their cars and die. Most of them don't. And how do you, and, but if you keep locking them up and locking them up, they never get anywhere. And then they can't take care of themselves. Now they're still alive and everything's a show. And because, I mean, like you're talking about the anxiety or I don't know mm-hmm. if you even got to like the lower self-esteem and no confidence mm-hmm. and all that that's going to come from that. And this is an absolute apples to apples comparison with diabetes, like yes. 1 million percent. You cannot, you have to take care of it for them, but you have to teach them how to take care of it for themselves And then you have to let go of it as it happens. I personally went with a slow release over a long amount of time, but that came from me listening to people talk who were just like thrown into it and it never worked for them. No one comes on here and tells a story of like, you know, I was diagnosed when I was 12. My parents were like, you can handle it. And then everything was great. That does not usually happen like that. Right. And so I just thought the way I usually talk about on the podcast is like, I see diabetes the way I see everything else about parenting. It's, um, a lot of repetition, not being frustrated about having to repeat yourself, knowing when it's time to stop repeating that thing and move on to the next thing. And when is it time to just let go? And then you got to know that the last piece of it's the hardest because it's all on you. The letting go is like all on you as a parent. It's incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. So I've had a number of moments in the last four years that have been like some of the worst moments of my life because I had to like 
you know, I had to stand there with this person and go, okay, well, you should just leave now. Like, that's okay. And then they're gone and you're still here and alive. And you're like, oh my God, everything's so still. And, you know, I don't have anything to do. And it's very, it's very hard to give it all away. And, you know, but if you don't, then you're screwing them over. It's just kind of the way I look at it, you know? So anyway. No, so it's so, so hard. I I think. I mean, it's making about, me sad thinking about it, Eric. I know, <laughs> you're making honestly. me sad too. When oh your my kids gosh. are little, it's going to make you cry. It's just making me sad. I know, <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's the worst thing. I'm sorry, I cut you off. I apologize. No, I think the 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 over-involvement piece, I think it's, it's maybe like, it's a healthy involvement, right? Like finding that balance of, I think we've talked about this a long time ago, of like bubble wrapping your relationship with your child with the diabetes and keeping that protected and slowly unwrapping the bubble wrap mm-hmm. as they get older right and that but they've learned how to how to manage themselves through your un, like you protected them and then you're like taking these layers off of bubble wrap so they kind of learn they're going to make mistakes it's okay yeah and i know it's such a it's such a painful it can be such a painful and challenging process, right. um, but ha- but then has to be done, as you said, mm-hmm. eventually. Oh, it's it's and it doesn't go in case you're wondering if it goes away as you get older. Like my son's 23 in a couple of months, he's moving back home and he's just got to drive across the country by himself. And there's there's a little voice in your head that says, tell him to live there because you don't want him to have a car accident driving home, which is a ridiculous thought. But it does go through your head for mm-hmm. half a second. Like, you know, you're like and it's just you. It's just you repeatedly trying to protect a baby, right? Like you, you get the baby and everything's trying to kill it. You, you don't realize that till you're holding it. You realize that like putting it down, twisting it the wrong way, like all of it's bad, food, a <laughs> bathtub. You're all like, oh my, you know, it feels like that. And then that's your wiring. And then they get bigger and then fewer and fewer things can actually hurt them. But you still are in the the part you started in. And, you know, you have a note here and how that could turn into entitlement for them. I was wondering about that. Okay, so this, let's say over time, your young child that is a teen is constantly learning that someone is going to do the thing for me or be there for me, fix my problem. Then as the child launches into the real world, they might enter into the world with this sense of entitlement and assumption that things are going to be done for you, that all your needs are going to be met, that you don't have to, once you feel kind of like frustrated, so-and-so, your colleague's going to do the thing for mm-hmm. you. So that can be, you know, we can see like the anxiety piece definitely playing out and the challenge, like making independent decisions. But then we can also see this other element of, well, Someone's going to do it for me. Yeah. I, I, I know I've does mentioned this. Does that make this. sense? I, yeah, it does. And I, and I know I've mentioned this before, but I um, steadfastly, when my kids were playing sports, if they looked hurt, like it's, it, listen, it, it, it sounds like a joke, but a kid gets hurt on a baseball field, every mom stands right up. And every yeah, oh, dad, yeah. and every dad sits there. It's like, oh, they're probably all right. And, Aww. you know, like, you know, like, and, and the one time it happened to my son and it eventually happened to Arden too, Kelly's like, go help him. And I was like, Kelly, if he's hurt, he'll still be hurt a minute from now. I was like, but if he's not hurt, 
what we're going to screw up by running out there is far worse than the pain he's going to feel for the next minute before we can go help him. Like, we have to let this play out, you, you know, and don't get me wrong. It wasn't, he didn't look like he got shot in the head or something, but like, it was, it was bad. He went down, he was hurt and he got up and he pulled himself together and he kept going. Now, if he's laying on the ground and before he even knows if he's hurt or not, his mom's running towards him, then that's how he's wired from then on. And I, I also kind of steadfastly believe that when you're raising children, uh, you don't lead them when you're talking to them. You don't ask them leading questions. Are you hurt? You look hurt. Don't say that because then they're going to go, yes, I'm hurt. Like, it's just how it goes. You know, like don't tell them they're not okay. I don't, does that make sense? Like, like, you know what I mean? People follow your lead sometimes. And I'm not just saying, say you're okay when you're, you know, your femur sticking out is like, you're fine. Like you're not, you're not fine. Right, you, right, you know? right. But like, but don't lead them to believing that they're weak. You know what I mean? And then once, yes. and once there's an actual problem, it's not weakness. It's an accident. It's, you know what I mean? Like there's, I don't know, there's just, there's certain words in there and phrasings and, and timing that are really important to avoid these things from happening. I, I think. Yes. I think that's, it's obviously developmentally, but there's different, different things you want to do de depending on where your child is in their development. I think as a, as a young newborn, young inf you know, child, you want them to know that you, they are going to be safe and cared for. Sure. If a child falls and scrapes their knee some these are maybe two different stereotypes. You have the parents saying, "Oh, you're fine, 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 you're fine. Come on, come on, come on, let's go." Or you have the child, "Oh my, the parent, oh my goodness, let's go, let's walk home, let's stop the thing, let's, we're gonna go, you too know, much, you must far. be really hurt, yeah. right?" So there is that fine line of the validation piece, I, and I hear you know you don't want to put words into their mouth, but sometimes the children don't have the words. But giving enough, giving the validation. Um, without dismissing or um, exaggerating. Yeah, it's an happening. incredibly fine line. Like, listen, yeah. if you take a baby and pretend to be sad, you can make a baby cry. Mm -hmm. I got upset earlier. It made you upset. Like, like so that happens, right? Mm -hmm. But so there's the line. Like, I don't want to, like, freak the kid out by telling him, I think I'm, I'm worried you should be worried, too. And you also don't want them to think that it's a callous situation where they're hurt and you're just like, whatever, it's okay. It's a, it's a, it's a case it's by a case yeah. decision. Mm -hmm. You have to make that and you have to kind of make them snap, you know, snap judgment. I always, my thought was just like, look, 30 more seconds to make sure she's really hurt before we go out on that field is neither here nor there. But if you run out there and she's okay, you're going to, I mean, I don't know what it is when you do it to a girl, but it's emasculating. Like, you know, like, what is that? What is emasculation when you? Can you emasculate a woman? Oh, I found a word I don't know. Let's look it up. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I think that's yeah. Yeah. I, um, is emasculation something that you can only do to a? Yeah, I think we're getting we're getting into you know different. What's your gender identity and how do you present? And then I'm not sure. Is that's there a a, is there a question. more generalized word? I guess is what I was wondering. I'll figure it oh, out. Okay, I'll just okay, that's what okay. I was wondering. Like, is there a more okay. generalized word for that? While you're looking, shall we move for the sake of time yes. yep. into the, our strategies? Okay. Yep. So, talking about, you know, we now understand what are some of the what does it look like to have the inconsistent in our um, discipline and following rules. 
being um, an over-involved parent. And so what are some strategies that we can implement to maybe hopefully avoid some of these negative outcomes? Mm -hmm. And we already, you already kind of alluded to the set reinforceable rules, right? So we, we want to, and we, and again, we might not know what the rules we feel like we can enforce on a consistent basis. So it's okay to redact and correct and edit and adjust. Okay. Use reasoning instead of empty threats. So if a child or a teen is not following the rule to, again, I know this is hard to do because we have to be in our own, you know, grounded place ourselves as a parent to enter into a conversation and of explaining, why is this not working for you? This is the rule. This is how we have to make it work. Instead of empty threats, I, I was taught this in a parenting class when I first became a parent where you're at, you're at the playground and the child's not listening. You're saying, come on, you need to go do this or do that or don't do this. And and then you say, well, if you don't stop doing that, we're going to leave the park. And this parenting educator said, no, do you do you really want to leave the park? Mm-hmm. Like, do, are you are you really going to leave the park? And oftentimes, like, no, we don't want to leave the park. But like, we're there. We have all the things. We're with our friends. And even in those younger years, the, the child will learn. Oh, you know what? I did it that one more time, and we didn't leave the park. Yeah. And so that that has sat with me now. They, they will learn. And I think the hardest part is when you make that really extreme that it's because you've, you've done all the things we talked about originally is like, you've, it's everything you've escalated. The child's behavior is becoming really aggressive. Mm-hmm. You're responding in a really aggressive way. Everything, the whole situation's escalated. So you're like, if you don't do this thing, we're, out of here. we're not going to right. the party or we're, we're leaving the party mm-hmm. or whatever. I think everybody comes to the moment where they make that, re- the, that resolution and then they're like, oh, I have to follow through now. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's I, hard. I screwed myself. We're actually leaving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I said this thing. I have to follow through. If I don't, then you're going to get all that. I've, I've had that happen to me. I was like, oh, I overreached. And now I'm ending up doing a thing I don't want to do because I have to because I said I was going to. And yes. uh, yeah, that's unpleasant at all. What, what about no favoritism between children? This goes back to kind of, you know, this the sibling, um, if rules are different or applied differently. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have, you know, there's no play dates for children after school, and then you're feeling lenient or you actually really need, a, you know, for whatever reason, you're like, oh, okay, just this one time, but it's for Johnny and not Susie. That doesn't work. Yeah. That doesn't work. Yeah. So just trying to be really consistent and the the how you apply the rules for both children. I know we talked about that a little yeah. bit um, already. Um, and yes. You have links here you want to share with people. Do you want to tell them what yes. they are? Yes. So I think a lot of this information came from parentingforbrain.com. Um, also in previous episodes, I, I love the Child Mind Institute, childmind.org. Mm-hmm. There are some great links and articles on a lot of this information that we're talking about. And I think one of the the last tips that I think we'll get into in the next episode Mm -hmm. is to try your best to not contradict the other parent and to, as much as you can, connect, communicate with the other parent if there there is one in the household. And that will communicate to your children that the rules are clear and they are, and you are being consistent in how you follow through with those rules when when they're broken. What about when they're wrong? We'll talk about it in the next one. That's right. Yeah. The, yeah. The next episode's about co-parenting and unified fronts. Um, yes. I cannot wait to tell you all the stories I have of my wife and I disagreeing. So um, 
<laughs> and agreeing and how I've learned to say things like your mom's right. And here's why. Or I think this is why mom feels this way. I get what your concern is here. I got to be honest with you. I might be on your side of this, but here's what she's saying. If you try to see it from her perspective, I think you'll see what she's saying is reasonable. Like that stuff took time to learn. So, um, but anyway, I, I appreciate you doing that. And I will let you go with this idea. It looks like that yes, emas- what did you learn? emasculated just seems like it might be an old word. So that uh-huh. when they first made it, the, the first word was first used, it was like, you know, to un, to deprive of strength, vigor, or spirit, or to weaken. That's what it means. But it was also, it also meant castrate. So I think it became a word that was, I wonder if you look back, if no one ever thought you that women had strength, vigor, spirit, or strength to begin with and so you couldn't take i wonder how like old-fashioned the word is like the i don't know what the etymology of it is all i know is i wanted to talk about arden and say that you didn't want to take away you didn't want to weaken her like you didn't want to deprive her of spirit like these are all things i would have said but a masculine popped into my head and then i was like is that appropriate like for that gender and i was like i don't know and anyway that's where that led us to so i'm gonna have to figure out if there's a a word if if there's a word for genders or if it's just a like a unisex word or, or if there's a different or better one. Anyway, I'm going to find out. Yeah. But, yeah share it. Share yeah. it in our next I'll let next you know episode. the next time we yeah. see each other. All right. Thank you so much, Erica. Okay. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye. Thanks. Bye. As always, Erica is terrific. Find her at ericaforsyth.com. She can help you in, I think, five different states and she sees people in person in California, you can find out everything at ericaforsyth.com. I want to thank U.S. Med. Sincerely, I want to thank U.S. Med sincerely for being a steadfast and longtime sponsor of the Juice Box Podcast. We, in fact, do get Arden's supplies from U.S. Med, and I believe you would have a good time if you did as well. It's very easy. I love how easy the reordering is. I sincerely think you should give them a try. USmed.com slash juice box or call 888-721-1514. If you enjoyed this episode, it's part of a series. Go back in your player and find the rest of them. They're called parenting. And then, you know, the rest of the description, you should be able to find them. No trouble. I also believe there's a list of these episodes in the feature tab at the juice box podcast, Facebook group, the private group, Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes, up in the Featured tab. You should find lists to this series and actually all the series that are involved in the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast.